0: Well, interesting thing like, about the flu, it doesn't really have a, um, a plan here. It just kind of attacks everything, you know. It, it attacks every race, every gender, every age. Babies get sick, and today our pastor is sick. So he called me um, Thursday and he started to cough. Once I suspected the cough and my excellence in diagnosis, I said he'll probably be sick. By Friday, Saturday, and he'll tell me something like, Be prepared to preach. So, last night I got the official word, Be prepared to preach, which I have no problem with. I hope that by the time I'm done, I haven't made you sick, or at least sick of hearing me. But the, uh, we're going we're to make it through it. The, you know, the, and I asked somebody the other day, It's a remarkable thing about the flu. He ever really thought about the flu. You know, we can defeat just about anything, it seems like. We can defeat all kinds of diseases. We've come up with pretty much close to a cure for cancer and all kinds of polio and weird things that the army likes to inject me with, but we can't seem to eradicate the flu, you know, and, and, and I love how people say it about the flu, like, well, the, the flu season's in, like, really, what, what starts the season? Does the leaves turn brown and the, the flu starts? Is that the season? Does the moon go full moon and that's the start of the flu season? And then when it's all over, well, the flu season's over with. You know, we don't really have a start and end date with the flu, you ever really thought about it? I always think these things are kind of unique to me, I, and I, they're little they're little, and there's nothing to it, but it is remarkable because it never seems to really go away. It must be the, the cockroach of the of diseases. You can stomp it out, you can burn it out, you can blow it up with nuclear explosions, and yet the flu will always somehow remain around. And again, it made its way here. Uh, it could have been a, a, a culmination of things. I'm pretty sure I did it to everybody. I started with myself, and I got Tyler and then Joe, then the pastor's sick, so we're okay, we're okay, we're going to do this. In fact, you know, if the flu season hits you this year, you probably, you probably were thinking, well, that Tamiflu would have been a good job, but you would, uh, for some reason, I guess you can't just buy that over-the-counter, you have to have a doctor, right? So when I was in the middle of my flu uh, episode, I asked my wife, I said, you know, we don't have a doctor. We, we, who is my doctor? If I got sick, who would I call? and she said i i I said you know what if i need what if i need fixing she said i've been trying to fix you for 21 years no doctor's gonna do that in 15 minutes so you're doomed so (laughs) i thought well that's kind of unique i guess i need to find myself a doctor when i talked to the pastor i heard him coughing too he was coughing a storm and i said well it sounds like you're coughing he says i've had about three days of practice so he uh Hopefully he'll be able to be good for that cruise or he's going to spend a lot of time in, in the quarantine section. But that's kind of started our, our January month so far. And so I think January's gone well in 2018. And if uh, I kind of got to start the January 18 first sermon here with a sermon titled, If You're Shaken Up, How to Get Settled Down. And then ironically, you know, in, in, in January 2018... It snowed in the southern part of our state and not the northern part of our state. Kind of an odd occurrence when we think about the way things happen, especially around here. And then that weekend after that, I got to go spend a good weekend with, our, with the youth in the College and Career in Gatlinburg. College and Career is our newest class. Uh, we're excited about that class. Uh, we went up there and we had a fantastic time. I didn't know that you could buy... Swords. I didn't know that was still a thing to buy swords. But our college and career class, every one of them bought a sword, and they were showing me their swords. And and we were we kind of got into a sword fight uh, with the swords. And and I, I was thinking, wow, this is a really weird group of kids buying swords. But at least they're not buying guns. They're buying swords. I mean, I don't know if you break into their house and they whip out a sword you might want to run off the other direction. I, I think it's kind of unique. But we did spend that weekend on, with a fantastic study. Uh, we were talking about what on earth am I here for? A big question a lot of us have. What on earth am I here for? You know, we, and we, we just talked about that and how God does have a purpose and a plan. And then last weekend, last weekend I think I had completely had amnesia and lost my mind because I put on a kid's church lock-in. Amen? So all the parents and, and volunteers that stayed for that thing, I really don't know what we were thinking about. But I took them to a really cool place called Sky Zone, where I also had a lapse in memory because I forgot how old I was. And I attempted to do things that the, this body is not allowed to do anymore, apparently. I, I really thought that I had the ability to do cartwheels and double flips. Apparently, when you land on your feet, you, all of a sudden, gravity comes back down. Your brain sinks to your feet and bounces back up into your head and gives you a wake-up call. But I did manage to jump into something. Now, have y'all, have you ever been to Sky Zone besides the youth or kids in here? All right, so when you go to Sky Zone, there is something called the foam pit. It's a big pit, and it's got these foam square cubes in there, right? Well, if you're like me, you would think the object is to jump as far out as you possibly can which it looks like that would be the challenge to me. I make challenges for myself. But I did. I mean, I got on that trampoline, I launched. I went all the way to the very end. Now, what somebody didn't tell me is how hard it is to get out of that thing. (laughs) There's no traction. And so I spent the next 15 minutes at the back of the foam pit trying to figure out how to get out of the foam pit, which was a lot of fun, but we had a great time with your kids. Uh, They were great. I really love being with our children. That's just a huge investment for me. And then this past weekend... This past weekend, we went to our third annual uh, One Life Conference. We had 12 churches, 12 youth groups show up at Peace Tree Academy where we put this on. We had the Birdsong family in concert. We had great speakers. Our local youth pastors themselves were great speakers. We had breakout sessions. We had almost 300 youth at this event. Now, this was, our, this was an ironically titled Unseen, like the flu is kind of unseen. And we pulled our verse from 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18. I going to read this for you because this is a great thing. This is what we taught our youth all weekend. Therefore, we do not lose heart. There, um, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an internal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I tell you, that is such a blessing to see that many young people come together under one banner. We called it the 1C Church, One Christ Church, is what we're calling ourselves there. Because we didn't look at our buildings. We didn't look at each other and where you go and where that person goes. We were all there under one gospel, one banner, one Bible, teaching one word. And it's amazing. I'm telling you, those young people can put that together. It is just absolutely amazing. Well, you might not see the significance of any of that, but the reason I told you all these things, I want you to understand that if God gave me every weekend... To spend with young people and children and youth in fellowship and studying his word and having the opportunity to see them grow in God's word, I would do it every weekend. Because I can tell you right now, if, if it isn't somebody stepping up to the plate to bring that type of leadership into these kids' lives, let me tell you who else will. The world will. The world will manipulate them. It will tell them something that's not true, and they'll fall victims to those tactics. Our children are an important investment. Besides Jesus being priority in my life, they're second right there. That is what God has given me the blessings upon me at this church to be able to spend with kids, and I believe they're worth spending time with because if we don't, Satan will, and he in no way cares for any of their well-being and where they're going to go and how they're going to serve God, and what their purpose in life is. How do I know that? That's because he's been doing this since the beginning of time. Since God molded us out of the dust of the ground, Satan has been against us. And so all these events that we put together, they're not just for the fun and do everything. They're for a reason. They're for us to have a significant impact in young people's lives. And I think this church, every single day, that I get the opportunity to stand in front of them and be a that part. Because Satan is is a very, very tactful person. And we're going to get into this Bible study here in just a second, since we've been talking about the flu and the significance of the flu. But I want to let you know that the flu is is a real virus. It's real. It happens. You get infected. Your body starts doing weird stuff. It starts coughing. It starts aching. Headaches start happening. You run fevers, and you have to take medicine to get over it. Well, Satan is, is just like the flu. He's real. He's not symbolic. He's a real entity, and he's really out there in physical form. He's constantly fighting against those who try to obey and follow God. He's been doing that to us in every turn of our lives. And Jesus was no exception to this. Satan wanted to get to him early on in his ministry. Just like the flu, he attacked him. He attacked him with the acronym of the flu, as a matter of fact, as we're going to start to discover that in Matthew chapter 4. See, Satan uses the flu to attempt Jesus to stop him from doing what Jesus has been sent on earth to do for his purpose and for God's plan. So he attacked him with the flu. He attacked him with his food, with his life, and asked him for unification unto himself. And he focused on these three crucial areas with those physical needs his power and his pride. But luckily for us, Jesus never gave in. In fact, Hebrews 4:15 says that Jesus faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. So he knows what we are experiencing, and he is willing to help us in our struggles. You and I will get attacked by Satan through the flu, but through his tactics. But we have to understand that Satan's tactics are there and exposed so that we can be better in combating them. So you know I'm an army officer, so I always talk like talk about combat and understanding the enemy. Well, today we're going to talk about how to combat the spiritual flu. The spiritual flu that we're talking here is in our life. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, starting in the first verse, just to bring you up to speed about this, in Matthew chapter 4, we just recently seen the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist, the preparer, the forerunner for Jesus, been preaching about the coming Messiah and his his triumphant uh, entry. When Jesus does show up in Matthew 3 in the 13th verse, then Jesus went to Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. He says, John tried to talk him out of it. He says, I'm not the one who needs to baptize you. So why are you coming to me? And Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. And after his baptism and Jesus comes up out of the waters, the heavens are open and and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is... Is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So there's no doubt who this person is now. This is Jesus, the son of God. And many witnesses had to hear this voice. This wasn't a quiet voice only said to Jesus. Everyone saw this. They saw the dove. They saw the light. And then we see almost immediately in in Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by that spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. So... For the next 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Now, we today cannot go 40 minutes before we're hungry. Could you imagine going 40 days? 40 days. I went 19 days in the field just eating MREs once a day, and I lost 10 pounds. If I went 40 days without eating, I would would, would be so happy, number one, because I'd finally be able to lose a little bit of weight. But I would be skin and bones. You and I would be skin and bones. I'm not sure if we have that type of power, that type of human power to literally not eat for 40 days. But the Bible says that Jesus did for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted and became very hungry. Now, the interesting about, thing about Satan, and he set this scene. He's pulled Jesus into the wilderness, possibly the desert, since it's a particular area that he lives this is the, and, and, and understand this area, there are still bad things that happen. Jesus was still vulnerable in his human, in his, in his form. He still has to be worried about wild beast. He still has to be worried about the weather. He's all by himself and he's alone. Now Jesus is in this, in this circumstance and, and Satan has set the stage. But see, the interesting thing about Satan is he starts to combat Jesus. The tempter always has to come with us with a little bit of doubt. That is his ultimate goal. How can I put doubt into your mind to make you think that what God had planned for you, the purpose he has for you, and the circumstances, how can I make you get off that track? So the tempter comes to Jesus with this. He comes with him and assails him with an if. If you'll look in your Bibles, you'll see, as I saw in here, in the third verse, during that time, the devil came and said to him, if, if you are the Son of God. Now, we are going to assume that Satan knows that Jesus is the Son of God. But here we go. We got the if. The tempter starts with an if. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, we've already established that Jesus is very hungry because he's been there for 40 days. Now, what better way to go after somebody when they're hungry to put something in front of them? Now, if he pulled me to the desert and I'd been out there 40 days and he said, try to turn those things into Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches, I probably would have gave in. I gotta be honest, that's one of my favorite meals. And I'm sure when, Jesus, when, when Satan said, you know, we ought to turn these things into bread, he could have elaborated. Once you turn it into a... A fresh, baked bread right out of the oven. What if you can smell that? What if he started putting that and making it harder to resist, to turn those stones into bread? But Satan starts off with testing his sonship. He's testing the sonship of Jesus, which questions his authorship. What is he doing there? But Satan says the same thing to us when he's testing our faith. He says stuff like, if you are a follower of Christ, see if you can not give in to your anger. See if you can not give in to doing something that's wrong. See, Jesus, unlike us, he had the power to resist. But we fall victim to the if really quick. If. If. You are a Christian, if you have the ability. And too often, we start looking for those struggles. And a lot of times we forget that Satan is just trying to test our faith through our love for Christ. Now, we struggle with our desires. And lots of us have desires. And some desires are harmless. Desires of career and and making money. And there's nothing wrong with that. There really isn't. But we have to understand that each one of those areas in our life have a purpose. And they have a circumstance that God's got you there for a reason. But a lot of times we begin at the wrong starting point. Have you ever? We just got through Christmas, and I haven't done this in a long time, putting toys together. But you, ever, you know when you had to get those big gifts, and they had to be put together the night before Christmas? Oh, I meant when Santa Claus, whatever, he brings them to you. But we have to put those things together. And have you ever been about halfway through it and then realized you forgot the starting point because there was like some weird little button that was supposed to go on the very first time and then you've already assembled about three quarters of it way done and you realize now you have to tear it all back apart? You know, but that's the starting point. You're supposed to start at the starting point. You're supposed to start where it says number one. Too often we like to start at number four because look at number one through four, it didn't seem like much anyways until we got to the end result and realized, man, number one through four meant a lot. But it's the same thing for us. We like to look for the wrong starting points. And so when Satan comes against us and tempts us with the if, it's normally because we didn't start at the beginning. We started about halfway through. And now we're having to backtrack a tad bit. Because we always want to do this. We always want to ask self-centered questions. Well, what if? What do I want to be? What should I do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams, or my future? In that study we were looking at, what am I here on earth for? What am I really here on earth for? In Rick Warren, this is a Rick Warren Bible study. He does a really good job of pointing it back. You're here because God matters to you. Or, I'm sorry. You matter to God. <laughs> I hope he matters to you. But you matter to God. That's why you're here. That's your starting point, because you matter. You're not here by accident. You're here for a reason. He said you might have illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children. Every person is planned. And your starting point started when God had you in mind. That's your starting point, because you matter to God. It all starts with God, because it was the cross that gave his point. You see, if you didn't matter to God, the cross is pointless. The blood sacrifice is pointless. The reason Jesus came to bring us the truth is pointless. It all matters. The if is important here. Because Satan will attack you. Well, what if? If you are. And you are because you matter to God. It's like the song I'm trying to think. Of death was arrested. It's a very good song. It says, when Jesus arose with our freedom in hand, that's when death was arrested and my life began. There's your starting point. Because when you and I were born, we were born sinners. We were doomed for destruction. But God said, your starting point began when I gave my life on the cross. So That's why we call ourselves reborn Christians. So that if matters now. Jesus provided us the word to conquer the if. In the next couple of verses, he says this right here. He said, Jesus told him, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You're like your worldly wants. We should look to the word of God to come for our bread alone. Not what the world is telling us is the right answer. God has given us all we'll ever need already in life. Everything extra is just a bonus round. You having a nice house, a nice car, and a great family, that's all bonus. Because God's already given you life. That's where he started with. And it matters. The second thing, the tempter aims the if at the vital, vital parts. If you'll continue to look down in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city Jerusalem, to the highest point in the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say, interesting enough that the Satan knows the Scriptures as well as we do, He said he'll order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Here's Satan going after Jesus now. He's already tempted him with some hunger, with some, with some physical food. Now he's tempting him with his life. He wanted to see if Jesus would use his power. You ever stuck your, your tongue on a non-volt battery, battery to see if it still had power? Somebody asked me that the other day, and I said, of course, I do that all the time. But in this case, Satan wanted to see if Jesus would use the power. He wanted to see if that sonship would come out. Now, it wasn't time for Jesus to do this yet. And he didn't want to do this yet. He had all the rights to use his power, but his power was not for himself, but for to honor his God, his Father. He does do that in 8 and 9. And we know that God has the power to save life. We've heard the miracles that have happened with people with diseases. Uh, Caesar, Captain America, he talks about that. One of his powerful testimonies about his wife having a deadly disease and God healing her. We know that God has the ability today to save life. And he could have protected Jesus. Jesus could have jumped right off and the angels would have swooped down and picked him right up. But this wasn't the situation that he wanted. But the tempter's aiming at this vital part, this life, just like he aims it at us. See, Satan tries to, attempts to deny us that God is the source of our life. How often does this happen, right? Satan attempts to manipulate our prayers with our selfishness. We always want God to prove it. That's what he tries to tell us. Make God prove that he exists. Then you'll know. Then you can serve him. Tell God if he will do this for you, you will do that for him. Am I right? A lot of times we come to prayer like that. God, if you will make this happen, I will serve you to no end. We try to make God prove that he's alive. Now, here's the dangers in that. God's already done that. In Luke chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus tells us a parable about a rich man and a beggar. We know the rich man had great wealth, and the beggar Lazarus laid at his front door with sores. It says he had sores on him, and he begged for scraps, and the dogs would come and lick his wounds. And then the the man, the poor man, he finally died. He's carried off by the angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man died, and he's carried off to be buried. The rich man shouted from afar. He said, Father Abraham, I am in this physical pity Help me by just asking Lazarus, who is beside you, to come and and dip his finger into some water to soothe me. I'm burning over here. The rich man pleaded for Abraham to sin, and he wouldn't do it. Then the rich man said, please, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want to warn them not to end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. God has already showed his physical signs. Again, the rich man replied, no, Father Abraham. But if someone who is sent to them from the dead, they'll repent. They'll turn from their sins and turn back to God. But Father Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to even someone who has risen from the dead. You see, God has already proven his power. He's already proven his existence. He doesn't need to continue to show you anymore. The fact that he is real and still alive should be our faith alone. He doesn't need to come down here and perform miracle after miracle for you to believe it. Your faith, your faith is what he wants. Believe in me. That's what he said. But Satan uses God's words and he twists them around because he knows we're weak and we don't understand them and we don't read them. Unfortunately, many homes, yes, even so-called Christian homes, in fact, are like the one in which this little girl pointed out. She saw a Bible up on the mantle that had never been opened and said to her mother, whose book is that? Her mother, quite startled by her daughter's question, replied, well, honey, don't you know that's god's book the child demonstrating that she had a very practical turn to her mind said don't you think we ought to give it back to him because no one ever around here ever reads it isn't that just the the god honest truth you know satan he, he uses words he'll order his angels he used god's words god's very words to come after jesus to attack him He does it to us all the time and we're so ignorant now because we don't read the Bible anymore. It's become a fossilized item on our mantles, on our bookshelves. It's just going to turn to stone and yet it's the very nourishment that we need is the bread of God that we need. We need to eat this thing, not, fi- not physically, but spiritually. We need to read it literally. We need to look at the words that God has. Because every question that you ever had has answers in it right here already. You don't need God to give you the audible because he already gave you the words. We just fail to open it anymore. It's a lost art. So the tempter As good as he is, aims the next if at our circumstances. I already told you that Satan had Jesus alone and he was hungry. He was in the wild and he was attempting to create doubt. And Satan can set up a scene very easy. He can set up a positive scene. He can set up a negative scene. In the next verse, in verse 8, next the devil took him to a peak with a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give it to you if you'll just kneel down and worship me. Now, many people have read that and they're like, well, does Satan have the power of the earth? Let me tell you what, I got to thinking about that. It's like, well, really? No, he doesn't. Because God created the earth. It's God's earth. It's not Satan's. Here's the kingdom that Satan owns and rules. He owns the kingdom of the sinners because they are under his rule. He does have reign over them. They have freely given themselves to that kingdom. Many of us have been in that kingdom. We've experienced his rule. We've seen his, his abilities. And that's the kingdom that he owns. He owns sinners. If you have not given your life to Christ, and you have not laid down at the cross and said, God, Father, forgive me. Come into my life. You are a, a citizen of satan you live in his kingdom if you want out you have to ask and the only person you can ask is the one who already came and gave his life and that's jesus himself so yes that is his kingdom and i wonder if jesus thought well that's an easy way to get him back but that wasn't that was not ever, ever going to happen. He was not going to give in to Satan. In verse 10, and I wonder if he yelled at it, because I wish, I wish it was all bold type like we do with text. Get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Wouldn't it have been great if Satan came to a realization that what he was doing was wrong and all been over with? But he was not going to give in. The devil's been a lying about his implied power for a long time. And for, unfortunately, he's been successful. He's been successful. And the flu virus lives in many, many people today because they've given in. They've unified with him. They're a part of him. But let me tell you what that's, that was what was so cool about this weekend. About those young teenagers recognizing that our God has the ability to renew, to revitalize, to restore their lives. And that they're here for a purpose. And that. They matter to God. And I see those young people, and I'm thinking, man, well, we got a great generation coming up. I know we make fun of them, we call them the millennials. And, you know, when they eat Tide pods for whatever reason, we just kind of sit back and, like, what's wrong with them? But in reality, we've been, we've been investing in their lives. Lots of leaders in this church have been investing in their lives. So that they don't eat Tide Pods. But that they do go out and boldly profess the love of God in their life. You know, we must be reminded by that in verse 10. We must be reminded of it daily. If this was one thing that you could remember, if if you have a tough time memorizing scripture, this would be a good one. You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And don't let Satan get into your life. Because we've learned recently, I think there's 37 deaths from the flu. Well, if you allow Satan's flu to stay in your life, you'll ultimately die. It will end, and you'll be buried. And your soul will not join the eternal glory that God has established for you, because you were meant to live forever, but you will instead be in the damnation's of the demons in hell. You'll be like the rich man who felt that the world was more important, that it had more and better things to put his wealth and, and his time and effort into, and he'll be the one that you'll join. Or you can do the opposite. As we conclude in our Pianist comes up to start preparing for our closing invitation. You know, we are familiar with the flu, and we have at some point been sick. And we probably have failed in these areas of temptation. We've probably given in at some point. And we probably have regretted some of those failures. The great thing about our loving God is that he always continues to forgive us over and over and over. You might ask, Well, how many times can you be forgiven? It, they asked Jesus the same question Continue to forgive. But listen, that's not what you and I are here for. We're not here to continue to mess up. Or continue. We are here to glorify God. There's a lot of people out there, there's a lot of people missing today, and I understand the flu and different things that are going on, the weather. We need to reach out to these folks because possibly they've been infected by the flu as well. They're falling in temptation. They're tripping up at every step and their life is in the balance. And you and I have the ability to make a phone call, make a text, reaching out to help them down the way, to receive them back to the glory of God. And I know that many of us suffer in our prayer life. But let me urge you, Let me urge you, Satan's really good at this. He knows this Bible better than you and I, I promise you. But you better start reading it, and you better start learning it, because there's going to be a day, and the days are coming, when he's going to turn this thing against us, and we're no longer going to meet in buildings, but we're going to be scattered across, across this earth. I don't like preaching about end times, but, buddy, I tell you, the world's a scary place. And one day, they're going to rip these things right out. They already ripped them out of the schools. And one day, they're going to rip them right out of the homes. And this is going to be a a lost piece of evidence for you and I. And that's why we're going to need it here. That's why we drive it into these children, memorizing scriptures, teaching them scriptures. With every head bowed, every eye closed.